You're listening to the Fertility Academy Podcast, episode 37. Today, I'm talking with my colleague, Dr. Olivia Rose, all about naturally supporting your uterine lining. So stay tuned. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us. In this week's episode, I'm going to be sharing my interview with Dr. Olivia Rose, a naturopathic doctor who practices here in Ontario with me. She and I met on a panel we were both speaking on, discussing natural fertility support, diet, stress, things like that. And I remember an audience question coming up around uterine lining and building it naturally. When the moderator asked her about it, she just lit up. She said, oh yeah, I love helping people with your uterine lining. It's something we do quite effectively as naturopathic doctors. And I remember thinking, I need to have her come on the podcast and talk about this. So we're going to talk all about uterine lining today. We're going to get into building it in a non-medical context. We're going to get into what happens if you're doing IVF and you need help building it. We're going to cover all that today. And we're going to give you some things that you can do at home. So before I play my interview with Dr. Olivia, I just want to offer her professional bio. Dr. Olivia Rose is a naturopathic doctor, writer, and speaker with 15 years of experience under her belt. She has built a thriving private practice centered around evidence-based and traditional naturopathic medicine and has a special interest in digestive and immune health, infertility, weight management, skin rejuvenation, and chronic disease prevention. In addition to being the clinical director and founder of Rose Health Clinic, she is also the CEO of Relive Organics, a natural and organic skincare line. Before the pandemic, Dr. Rose and her team, Fertility Acupuncture Services, would support couples and individuals undergoing IVF and IUI with acupuncture on-site at fertility clinics across the GTA. Dr. Rose is consistently featured on television segments, podcasts, and publications, reaching thousands of people with her natural health expertise and wellness advice. So without further delay, let's play my interview with Dr. Olivia Rose. Welcome, Dr. Rose. Thank you so much for being here with us on the show. Thank you for having me, Michelle. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, this has been a long time coming. I was saying in the interview how we met on the panel for the Canadian Fertility Show. And I remember mentioning, well, it wasn't me that mentioned, I think it was an audience question that wanted to talk about uterine lining. And you were like, let me tell you all about how we can help your uterine (laughs) lining. And you were just so excited. You were like, I love this subject. And I thought, I just need to have her back on the podcast to talk about this. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I've already read your professional bio in the introduction, but if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, that'd be great. Sure. My name is Dr. Olivia Rose, naturopathic doctor. I've been in practice for quite some time now, treating and supporting uh, women and men on their hormonal health journeys, specifically around fertility, but um, on the other uh, ends of the spectrum as well. So whether it be uh, during a puberty, um, or also during the transitional phases of menopause, and when hormones start to shift for uh, men as well. So um, I enjoy that. I also do a lot of work with uh, immune health and skin health and gut health and, and sleep and, and all of that good stuff as well. 
so that's just a little bit about me. I just um, I'm seeing people virtually and in person during this time, and you know, just trying to keep our uh, our communities healthy and, and as safe as possible during this crazy time we're living in. Yeah, what important work that is. Um, and uh, I like that you kind of address so many different things in your practice, and I think it's kind of interesting to note that regardless of what somebody's chief complaint is, you're kind of working on the whole person anyway. So if they come in for infertility, you're probably still going to end up working on their digestion and their skin issues might clear up while you're working on their hormones. So it's, it's kind of cool how it comes full circle and all these issues end up getting cleared up. So very good. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It's lovely. Love that. So we're going to chat about uterine lining today. Before we get into some solution-based conversation, I just want to talk a little bit about the physiology behind uterine lining. And I just want to say for everybody who's listening, um, when we talk about this stuff, it can really be applied to any context. So whether you're trying without medical intervention and you're doing things at home or all the way through to you're doing things in a cycle that's, you know, heavily medicated, like in the context of IVF or something like that, the hormones will obviously be affected if you're taking medications. Um, But I do kind of want to get an idea of how the uterine lining is built before we talk about the different scenarios. So can you tell us a little bit about the hormones behind lining development and how they work? Sure. So just even first of all, before that, the endometrium lining is the tissue that lines the uterus. And estrogen is the main hormone that's going to contribute to the development of your endometrial or your uterine lining. So estrogen is going to start to increase during the first phase of your menstrual cycle, particularly after about day five or six, whenever your menstrual cycle ends, that's when estrogen starts to really peak up. And that's when the proliferative phase starts. And during that phase, that is actually when you have the the building of that uterine lining. So it tends to, you know, be first around five to seven millimeters um, around that time, day five, six. And then as you start to approach ovulation, it can thicken up to 11 millimeters. And then, you know, after ovulation, it can go as high as 17, you know, 15 to 17 millimeters in thickness. And at the same time, estrogen is responsible for the development of the endometrial glands. And these are glands that um, are are located all throughout the endometrium. And their responsibility is to secrete different fluids and nutrients to help nourish um, the embryo once it's implanted. Amazing. It's such a interesting, complex, um, but yet so simple part of the body. And it's just so very human and magical. And I love that part where you can be like, well, you know, you just put the sperm in and then the body knows what to do for for the most part, of course. I mean, there's always anomalies, but it's kind of interesting that these things are just happening within our bodies without us even really having to do anything or know anything about it. But I'd love to talk a little bit more about like, what exactly is the purpose of the uterine lining? You know, why do we have a uterine lining and why is it important? Yeah, I think, you know, in a nutshell, um, like you were saying, like, it's just so sort of magical and amazing how these things work, but it's basically a bed. It's where your your embryo is going to implant or, you know, lay down and and fall asleep and hopefully wake up and you have, you know, the pregnancy journey and a beautiful baby at the end of it. So it's really um, the place where you're going to develop first um, all of the glands that are going to help nourish that embryo. And then it's going to 
turn into the placenta, you know, the corpus luteum, and then the placenta forming, and then you know, hopefully your your um, the the area where your embryo is going to develop into the fetus and then into your, your baby. So um, really, it's it's for nourishment. Um, and uh, if you don't have an embryo that implants, the cycle just starts all over again and you end up shedding your lining uh, during that the first part of the follicular phase, which is your menstrual phase. And then the cycle starts all over again. Very good. Thank you for explaining that in such a simple way. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, you know, people come in with different types of periods, different types of menstrual flow. And I tend to like to think that this is, you know, not this isn't an exhaustive statement, but it can be somewhat representative of kind of what's going inside the uterus, because essentially the uter the, the period is when the uterine lining is shedding and coming out. So a new one can begin to be built when the estrogen starts up again. So do you find that um, there's any correlation? In, in your clinical practice between the quality of somebody's period and the quality of somebody's lining? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really good question. And I find that the type of period you have can, like you said, be an indicator of what's going on inside of that uterine cavity. So if you're having really heavy periods, sometimes it's as a result of fibroids that are growing within that myometrium, that muscle layer of the uh, uterus. And so if that's happening, it's increasing the surface area and, and increasing blood flow therefore, because you have more um, area for this endometrial lining to grow. So that is one example of, you know, a, a situation where a really heavy flow could be as a result of that. And so, you know, there's other things. So if you're having very painful menstruation, so not just PMS, sort of the cramping that can lead up to the flow beginning. But if you're finding that you're having cramping throughout or cramping during that menstrual phase, um, that could be due to other things too, like endometriosis um, is one condition that we'll see a lot in practice. I'm sure you do as well. So these conditions um, are usually reflective of what's going on inside. Isn't it amazing that we have this incredible gift as women and people with uteruses that we get to see a real-time view of our inner state of health every single month. And we can kind of look at it from month to month and how it behaves and use it as a diagnostic tool. And I think that's so incredible. Even, you know, 12 years into practice, my mind is still blown every time I think about that concept. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, even with the types of um, intakes you have, so, and stress, you know, stress will also impact you know, your uterine flow and, and sometimes, you know, having resulting in missing a whole cycle altogether in cases of very severe mental, emotional stress or physical stressors as well, whether it's like you are a very um, competitive athlete or your, your, um, your, your body weight has gone down significantly. There's so many ways that your uterine lining and your flow and your hormones can be affected. And I just, I think it's incredible as well. It's too awesome. Of course. So you mentioned a couple of things in your previous statement where you said, well, you know, stress obviously affects our hormones and that's through the endocrine system. And then, you know, things like our lifestyle practices. So if somebody is overactive, are there any other reasons why somebody's lining might be not along the lines of what's considered healthy or that might not be developing properly? Yeah. I mean, 
we know, as we stated in the beginning, that um, a lot of this is controlled by estrogen. So if for some reason you're experiencing estrogen deficiency or yeah, your hormones are just not responding as well as they, they could be to, you know, FSH, that hormone released from the brain um, to help get things moving, then, you know, you, you can suffer from a thinner lining. Maybe it might not be developing the way it should. Any, for any reason, if there is insufficient blood flow to the pelvic floor, it could be due to scar tissue, it could be due to polyps or tumors or anything that going on like that. Um, it could be due to infection in the endometrial cells, like that's usually called endometritis. If you are, in terms of lifestyle, having too much caffeine, so, you know, or anything else that can constrict the blood, the blood cells and the capillaries that are feeding the uterine lining, that could be a reason for a thinner uterine lining. Um, nicotine, if you're a smoker, um, you know, if you're trying to get pregnant, it's always a good idea to, to try to quit at that time because um, it can also result in issues with implantation. And that could also be because of the uterine lining not developing the way it should. Then we also mentioned, you know, if you tend to be more thinner in, in your body frame, that's something to look into and maybe working with a naturopathic doctor, a nutritionist to uh, increase your calories. I find in my practice, uh, I try to encourage uh, patients who are going through fertility to make sure that they're having enough protein even if they're vegetarians or vegans, so that can be difficult sometimes to just make sure that you're getting enough um, or people who just don't really like to have meat. They might not even be vegetarian, but they might kind of skimp on it and not have enough proteins throughout their meals in the day or in the week. And the reason being is that we do know protein when it breaks down, it breaks down to the amino acids. And these amino acids are building blocks that we use along with cholesterol to build our hormones. And so if you're experiencing aligning that's thin. You want to make sure that you look at your, your diet as a whole and you're getting enough of the nutrients that are going to, to help build your hormones and therefore build your lining. Amazing. Thank you for all of that. I think that one light bulb moment that might be kind of going off for, for some people listening to this is that idea of caffeine and constriction. I think that's kind of interesting to think about that blood flow. And have you found in your practice when people either cut back or eliminate coffee that that actually helps with the uterine lining if it's having trouble? Yeah. And you know what I'd say, Michelle, it's, it's hard in a sense, because um, I don't know, it's probably, it's probably a, a handful of times where it's been like one thing where it's like, okay, we need to cut back on, on caffeine to help, this, to, to help this specific outcome take place. But oftentimes when people come in, it's like they've been, let's just skip to say, trying to, to do uh, IVF and have an embryo transfer. And it's been months and months of their doctors checking their lining and they're just not hitting, you know, the, the measurement that the doctor wishes to see. So at that point, Michelle, I am throwing everything at it. It's like, okay, no caffeine. Let's do acupuncture. Let's do all the things. I know we're going to get into these things, but it's like, let's do everything. So it's hard to say, but I would say as, as, um, a treatment plan to address the issue, I would say it would make a difference, particularly for the people who are having a bit more than one cup of coffee a day. If they're doing four and five and they really you can tell just the outward disposition is really tense and, and they're not getting enough sleep and all of that, then I would say, and they're sedentary, you know, that's another thing, then I'd say I'm sure it will make a big difference. 
That's really good to know. And I think it speaks to that interesting theme that we sometimes look at as natural health professionals. And it's not always, you know, a favorable statement that when it comes to looking at research behind these things, but often it's about, well, what can we do to kind of throw everything at the problem and create a a multifactorial solution? And it doesn't really bode well for, well, what do the percentages mean? And what are the exact contributing factors to this outcome? But essentially, it's more about the patient and the outcome that they're looking for and how can we do everything we possibly can to help them. And sometimes those dietary things are part of it. Sometimes eliminating caffeine is part of it. And you kind of throw everything at the kitchen sink at the problem (laughs) because, you know, sometimes people wait a really long time to come and see us and they're kind of at the end of their rope and they've done, you know, five FET cycles and their lining just isn't being built. And they're like, I'll do anything. I'll do everything. And then you do do everything. And you do everything. You do. (laughs) If you get the result, you're looking for maybe it really doesn't matter which factor worked it's so true and I think that's the really amazing thing about what we do right the fact that we can um we have a couple of different tools usually on the go at the same time and so at that point you're just throwing everything at it yeah exactly so let's talk about IVF specifically IVF is interesting because you're not really dealing with the body behaving as it would without being influenced by medications, oftentimes, unless it's in the, I mean, some people do natural IVF cycles where they're not taking any medication, but I I would venture to say that that's the less common scenario. So when people are doing IVF and you're specifically looking at lining, which is usually when somebody's doing an embryo transfer cycle, they're really looking at the lining closely to see what the development is. Are there any considerations that you have for your patients when they are medicated with? Usually it's estrogen, but there are other things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, IVF is, is a lot on the line, if you will. Like there is just, it's very stressful for the individuals involved. Um, Usually by the time they've seen me, they've at least had one. And so it's like when I'm, recommending to take a few steps back and maybe, you know, let's take some time to, you know, do a good assessment and and optimize your chances because so much is on the line. People are, you know, spending a lot of money for these cycles. So that sort of, that's really the, some of the special considerations that, that I think about the fact that, you know, if they've been trying this for a while and even during IUI as well, it's, it's very similar we really try to take a step back and reevaluate everything, lifestyle, diet, what's happening with the hormones, and make a few changes um, and usually hopefully get some time to implement these changes so that we can make a difference. But the main thing is that the fertility doctor is going to be checking your lining through ultrasound to make sure that it reaches the appropriate thickness, which is somewhere around seven to eight, um, optimal being, you know, nine, 10 before you, you have that embryo transfer. Um, they also want to make sure that it's in the correct pattern. So it's usually like a, a three layer pattern, your endometrial lining. And, you know, if, if things look irregular or things are, um, you know, not developing they, the way they, they want them to be developing, then it's going to delay your cycle, uh, sorry, delay the embryo transfer. Um, and it's going to just, you know, create a lot of stress and, and all of that that comes along with it. 
Um, so at this point, we are, from my perspective, considering everything as well, like all the things that we can do as naturopathic um, providers and natural health care providers, as well as working with the, the doctors. Um, you might be on estrogen, you might be on gonal F, you know, there's, there's different types, which is like a, a, the recombinant follicle stimulating hormone to help encourage endogenous estrogen production. So we're working with everything and considering all of the different ways that your lining could be affected. Perfect. So let's get into some solution-focused conversation. Sure. So is there any kind of, I know that every patient is individual and unique in terms of the set of circumstances that they bring to the table. So of course, we take an individualized assessment and make individualized recommendations for each person that comes into our office. But are there any kind of general lifestyle, dietary suggestions and tips that you can give people? I know you mentioned protein, and I know that you mentioned avoiding caffeine, but are there any kind of universal suggestions that you can make for people, even if they just want to approach it proactively? Maybe they're not even having an issue with their lining, but they just kind of want to do everything they can. For sure. I mean, it starts with the diets. Let's start there. You want to start with what I call like the Mediterranean style diet, which is a diet that um, has been shown in studies to be a bit of an ideal diet for fertility in general. So um, it's a diet that is low in red meats, high in really high quality unprocessed meats. So not just meat, but protein in general. So maybe plant-based protein, which tends to be one of the best types of protein. Um, and so you also have your fish and your seafood and your poultry, right? Nuts and seeds um, are also very helpful for many reasons. They have different types of um, fatty acids that are helpful for, for just maintaining optimal health and reducing inflammation in general. Um, lots of fruits and vegetables, right? And you also want to um, create an environment where you're eating and you're not on, in, in a rush to, to eat. Like you're sitting down, taking deep breaths, you're creating that environment, eating with your family if you can. That's also really important and part of eating, probably one of the most important parts of eating so that you're optimizing your digestion and not in a stressed state when you're trying to eat. So that's diet. Exercise. You want to make sure that you're increasing blood flow throughout your body. Um, if you're increasing blood flow, if you are moving blood and blood's not stagnant in the body, you're going to help drive fresh oxygen and nutrients to the pelvic floor to the uterine lining to help with that building process. So exercising is important. You don't want to be extremely exercising, but somewhere in you know, moderate levels of exercise is good. Uh, good cardio, yoga, and stretching, um, weight-bearing uh, exercise, always a good thing. Some of the other lifestyle things. So in practice, I tend to recommend castor oil packs, which is just the use of um, cold-pressed castor oil with heat applied to the abdomen um, to help increase circulation to the area and help build the lining. So castor oil has been used throughout the world for so many different ailments to help reduce inflammation, to help support good circulation to the tissues. And so I, I, I use it a lot for helping to increase uterine lining and I'm quite happy with, with that result. And then we talked about reducing caffeine, but you also want to consider any other types of medication you could be on, right? So sometimes 
you know, we spend a lot of time with our patients, but sometimes other doctors, there, you know, there's a lot going on and you might forget to mention that you're on, you know, antihistamines and maybe just not even your regular antihistamines from your pharmacy, but maybe a, a specific type of uh, antihistamine that's stronger that you were um, recommended to take by your allergist. And antihistamines can constrict blood vessels. Um, and so you want to make sure that you, you know, you let your doctor know if you're on antihistamines, cold medications um, that could also contribute to the lining not developing the way it should. What else? I mean, if we go into herbs and things like that I use in practice, like ginkgo biloba is one that I love to use. It helps to increase uh, circulation to the periphery. So to the, you know, to your brain, to your extremities, um, including the pelvic floor. So I like to use that a lot. Ginger is another one that I like. So ginger root, adding it to your diet, adding it to your stir fries, having it as a, a ginger tea could be really helpful as well. Um, and then, you know, there are certain supplements. So optimizing your vitamin D levels. Vitamin D is actually quite important for, uh, it's a hormone. So it's important for a lot of things, but it's also important for um, the health of your uterus. It, it plays a very important role in the, the uterus as a, as a muscle. Um, and it's also important for your uterine lining. Um, folate, folate's important for, fertility and helping to prevent neural tube defects and, and, and things like that and helping to uh, promote healthy brain development. But even before that, folate in your prenatal or on, on its own is really important for you. It's important to help with proper blood vessel response. And so if you're dealing with hypertension, it's, it's important for that um, to helping to support uh, healthy blood flow and, and potentially normalizing blood pressure. Um, yeah, so those are some of the main things um, that I would say I, I look to and then talk a little bit about um, the idea of maintaining a good uh, body uh, weight um, and BMI so that you're not... Um, you know, you're not too thin, you're not too heavy, you're sort of in between, you know, you're working towards uh, optimizing your health overall. Um, but we do know if um, people with um, a smaller body frame can be more prone to uh, having some difficulty with developing their uterine lining. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for all that information. That's great. There's a couple of things that I want to circle back to. The first one being the castor oil packs. That's such a, I love it. It's, it's kind of old application. I mean, people have been using castor oil packs for so long, and there's a good reason that we keep using them to today that they that they work well. Um, so I'm wondering, do you have any resources on your website for giving people directions on how to use it? And if not, they're definitely you can YouTube it and search it out. But I'd love to guide people towards um, your website if you have a blog post or anything like that. Oh, thank you. You know, I used to, but I have redeveloped the website and taken a lot of the old blogs off. But um, in general, um, I can just briefly mention two simple ways to use the castor oil. Um, the first one being just taking uh, about a tablespoon or so and giving yourself a little tummy massage and kind of going from your pelvic bone um, and rubbing in that area all the way up to um, just below your rib cage. So you can do that, throw on an old t-shirt and go to bed. You can do like a castor oil rub and let it, let it do its 
its thing at night. The other way is to do a pack where you're actually saturating um, some mucilin or some cotton um, with the castor oil um, and then letting it sit on the area and then adding some heat to that. So um, whether it's a hot water bottle or some type of heating pack and sitting for about 20 minutes or so. Okay, that's great. That's so simple. And, you know, especially the application and the massage right before bed, that can also be just a nice self care ritual that takes very little time that you can kind of get into every night before you go to bed. And I love those little self care rituals, because often in a scenario where you're even thinking about your uterine lining, it's usually in the context of being told like, well, your uterine lining isn't doing well, and we need to do something about it. And it kind of gives you that ability to take back that element of control like you you can feel like you're doing something in your cycle to promote health and help your body function in the way that it needs to so that's great I'll make sure that we pop your information into the show notes. I know that you don't have any specific publications about castor oil packs, but I'll, I'll put the info there in case anybody wants to reach out to you with questions about that specifically. And then the second thing I would say is you've mentioned some really great herbal suggestions, but I do also want to say if you are planning on using any type of herb or supplement that it is important to talk to somebody like Dr. Rose because you want to make sure that whatever supplements you're using are actually indicated for your particular unique body. So something like ginger tea or adding ginger to your diet is great. We can say with pretty good confidence that almost everybody in Canada probably needs to take a vitamin D supplement, but anything over and above that, it is good to talk to a naturopathic doctor before beginning any kind of health regimen. So Dr. Rose is a great person to reach out to if you have any questions about that. So that brings me to my next question is, how can people find you? How can they get in touch with you if they want to ask you questions or continue the conversation or work with you? Sure. Thanks, Michelle. They can just come to our clinic website, um, which is www.rosehealthclinic.com. And there's tons of information about what I do there and the clinic and um, how we're seeing patients nowadays. Amazing. Thank you. I'll make sure that I pop all of that in the show notes. Dr. Rose, thank you so much for being here with us and sharing all of your knowledge. I just love talking with other people who work with the fertility population quite frequently because there's just so much to know. And I appreciate you coming on here and giving your time and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. And thanks for what you're doing as well, because keeping this conversation going and making it less of a stigma and uh, keeping that conversation going and spreading that knowledge is is how we're going to get ahead in this area. Well said. Thank you. So that was my interview with Dr. Olivia. I'll be sure to link all of her info in the show notes if you're interested in continuing the conversation with her. I'm going to be back next week with another episode. Until then, take care. Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, the Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.